Faith for the Journey is the title of the message today. And faith really is something that we need to have in our journey as Christians. You know, roadmaps are, are nearly extinct. If you have a roadmap in your car, it probably hasn't been used very often. And if it has been used, you probably don't know how to fold it back up to fit back into that glove compartment. If you own a collection of the kind of roadmaps that gas stations offered free or sold years ago for very small expense, you may be surprised to learn your past investment has increased substantially. Today, motorists can access the, the best route from their departure point to their destination simply by accessing a website or using their smartphones with GPS, right? I, that, and whenever I get in my car, I always put my phone up there on the little mount and put on the GPS. Uh, not that I don't know how to get anywhere or on my own, but it's also a handy thing for traffic if you, get, if you travel uh, freeways and stuff like that. But these GPSs, they can, you can also not only receive visual uh, commands, of course, looking at it in the directions, but the voice directions are also on there too. I don't know about you, but I've muted mine for all the time because I don't like her talking at me. But, uh, but, you know, faith acts as a GPS for Christians as well. And you could probably say the GPS, you've heard of this before, maybe that it's called God's positioning system. And that's what faith is. And as we travel through life, we can connect with God through His Word, and His Spirit responds to our faith, provides clear guidance, and gently leads us along. And like Abraham, by faith we can navigate every trial and seek the city whose builder and maker is God. So this, this message today will help us trust God to do even those things that seem impossible. You got any of those things in your life that you're trusting God for? Those things that may seem impossible? Continue to trust Him for it. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 12, God told Abraham, Walk before me and be blameless. In the King James Version it says, Perfect. And in Romans chapter 4, Paul used Abraham's story as scriptural support for Paul's claim that righteousness comes only by faith. At the same time, he showed how faith is essential for the walk of holiness, for Abraham as well as for us. The Bible many times uses walking or a journey to illustrate human life. David spoke of walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and we are told to walk humbly before God. We are told to walk in light and not in darkness. And Paul spoke of walking wisely and in love. And John Bunyan used his scriptural figure to create his classic Pilgrim's Progress. So in what ways does life resemble a journey for you? What are some of the aids God gives us for this journey? Paul's teachings in Romans chapter 4 will help us answer these questions as well as, of course, seeing how faith works through all of this. Now let me give you a little background here to set this up. In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul sought to, uh, to communicate what a person needed to do in order to be right with God. He stated his theme in uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, by saying, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, from first to last. And people from a Jewish heritage continually struggled with the idea that a person could be made right with God simply through faith. 
you had all these things that the law told you you had to do, so you had to follow those, right? In chapter 3, Paul made the case that no one can be made righteous by observing the law. The reason for this is simple. All people are fundamentally sinners by nature and deed. The law is only capable of revealing the sin in their hearts. Nevertheless, God has revealed a different kind of righteousness that comes not through the law, but through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. As a result, it is available to everyone and is of grace so that no one can boast of it. And Paul framed much of his argument in this letter as uh, though much of his audience included people of Jewish heritage. The Jews had certainly been scattered widely throughout the, the Roman Empire. And they were usually the first ones Paul preached to when he entered a new city. One primary reason for this is that the gospel is in fact born in the context of the Jewish story. And since the Jews looked up to Abraham as their spiritual father, Paul used him as an example of how faith alone is credited as righteousness. Abraham's story is told in Genesis chapter 12 all the way through chapter 25. We're not going to read through that. And his incredible example of faith is also cited in Hebrews chapter 11. And it begins with God speaking to Abraham when he lived in Ur, in the country of Chaldea, and telling him to move his family to a new area far away that God would ultimately show him. Abraham responded to God's call in faith and eventually ended up settling in the land of Canaan. And when he arrived there, God led him to a mountain where he had him look in every direction. And there he promised to give him his seed, all that he could see. But God's promise to him also involved becoming the father of many and ultimately blessing the whole world through his offspring. Now, unfortunately for Abraham, he was an old man, had no children. Nevertheless, the Genesis account records in chapter 15, verse 6, that Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, the word credit there is used eight times in the first 12 verses of Romans chapter 4. It's to describe how God regards an individual's faith. Primarily, it is an accounting term. People often think of righteousness in terms of a ledger where their good works outweigh their bad ones. You get to the bottom line, you see if there's any red ink, right, in your life. There is, got to do more things. So it gets your ledger in balance. Paul said that in God's ledger of debits and credits regarding a person's life, an individual's works are simply not adequate to make him or her righteous. Because the standard of righteousness by which God measures is his own, his own glory. And we cannot match up to that. Neither was the right of circumcision adequate to make one righteous, since Abraham himself was declared righteous even before he was circumcised. And if Abraham was to be regarded as the model of a person's righteousness before God, then faith must be seen as the only means where he received it. So, let's look at this faith that Paul speaks of and see what we can learn about all of this. First of all, in chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, you haven't turned there, get there now. Follow with me in verses 13 through 15 in this. 
And through this, these, this portion, we'll see that the law is inadequate. We'll see the inadequacy of the law. Starting with verse 13, Romans chapter 4. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. And we'll stop there in verse 15. When God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he launched him on an incredible journey from the paganism of his homeland to an inheritance that made him father of all who believe. And Abraham actually, Abraham actually had seven encounters with the Lord in which promises were given all throughout Genesis. And these promises were spread over a journey, a physical journey as well as a spiritual journey of at least 40 years. And from the time God called Abraham until he had bound Isaac on the altar on Mount Moriah. Abraham, Abraham had demonstrated faith on each of these occasions as he walked before the Lord. At the beginning of God's relationship with Abraham, he made him a promise. God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This promise, as Paul uh, restated it, is that Abraham would be heir of the world. But how would that be possible with only one son? Even if his great-grandchildren and their families are taken into consideration, all the twelve tribes, the only this only constituted one small nation. But the promise was something much larger than just Abraham's physical seed. It looked beyond his descendants to the seed that would ultimately redeem an entire lost world. God did not attach conditions to this promise that he made to Abraham. Abraham was not required to obey the law in order for the promise to be fulfilled. Now Paul's word for promise there in verse 13 means a promise unconditionally made out of the goodness of someone's heart. So an unconditional promise. Paul pointed out that the promise did not come uh, through the law as, set, uh, as a set of uh, religious rules, but as verse 13 says, through the righteousness that comes by faith. And the faith on Abraham's part interacted with the grace on God's part. Those came together. As one commentary states, what God's great hand of grace provides, man's little hand of faith receives. And the law of Moses was still hundreds of years in the future. Paul remarked that the promise is worthless if those who live by the law can become heirs. Besides, he pointed out in verse 15, the, the law brings wrath, not righteousness. The law serves only to reveal human sinfulness, not to measure human righteousness. Knowledge of God's holy standard only leads to guilt and condemnation, not self-confidence and a sense of accomplishment. Just think about it. When you've come across God's word sometimes, you've been hit right between the eyes with some things. And his law can do that to us. To introduce a law-keeping as a condition for receiving the promise would have a couple horrible effects. 
It would put a question mark over the character of God for adding a condition to all this, and it would make the realization of the promise impossible since no one has been able to fully keep the law. Abraham was only required to believe. No, no small task for one who, who was, uh, along with his wife, far beyond the years of having children. And it would actually be 25 more years out until God would fulfill this promise by giving him a son. This promise required faith, <laughs> deep faith. So the law is inadequate in this area. Look with me in verses 16 and 17. See here that the promise here comes by faith. Verse 16, Therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. We'll stop there. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In verse 16, the promise comes by faith, not by works, not by the law. And this is so that it may be grace and may be guaranteed, maybe by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. So if righteousness came by the law, then only those who had the law would be eligible. And only those who kept it would be qualified. Instead, we obtain righteousness by grace. God's undeserved favor. And consequently, it is available to everyone. And faith becomes the means where that grace operates in a person's life. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And Paul made it clear that the inheritance was not limited exclusively to Abraham. The promise had been received by his offspring as well. He also made it clear in Romans chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, that Abraham was the father of all who believe, including the uncircumcised Gentiles who believed in Christ Jesus, and the circumcised Jews who also believed. He then said, the promise of the inheritance, because it comes by faith, is guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, which includes you and includes me. He is the father of us all, as verse 16 says. After God has credited us with righteousness because we have believed, we walk on with him step by step in the same faith, receiving assurance of the inheritance we will receive. And Paul ended this section with a reference, very interesting in verse 17, to the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. And he develops this, uh, these thoughts in the following verses that we'll look at, in verses 18 through 22. And here we'll notice, I hope that we'll notice that faith gets stronger when confronting impossibilities. Faith gets stronger when confronting impossibilities. Verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. 
Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Talk about impossibilities. Abraham's inheritance of all nations could only become a reality if he had a son. But he did not have a son when God called him to go on a journey to Canaan. And for 25 years he walked before God, hearing repeated promises about offspring, but still did not have a son. But as verse 18 says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Those, those promises, those seven promises, the first six promises all involved promises of descendants. By this time, Abraham was approaching 100 years of age and Sarah about 90. In verse 19, as it says, his body was as good as dead and Sarah's womb was also dead. Nevertheless, he faced these facts without weakening in his faith. As verse 20 tells us, even at this point, he did not waver through unbelief. Imagine that. There are some times where you might waver in your, in your belief. You go through doubts sometimes. And, and then can take in consideration this situation. <laughs> wow. And he never wavered in, in his belief of God. Paul said Abraham was strengthened in his faith. It's interesting to see how God did this. In the first promise, God said he would make Abraham a great nation. In the second promise, he spoke of Abraham's offspring. In the third promise, he said Abraham's descendants would be as numerous as the dust of the earth. In the fourth promise, he said if Abraham could count the stars, he, he could count his offspring. As, uh, Romans 4.18 says, so shall your offspring be. Abraham replied that he had no heir except a servant, and God told him in, in Genesis chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, that, that a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And then in the fifth promise, God told Abraham the heir would, be, would not be Ishmael, whom Abraham had foolishly fathered through a slave girl. His heir, his heir would be Isaac, born from Sarah in spite of her age. And in the sixth promise, God told Abraham that Isaac would be born next year. So it's coming. He's going to be here. Keep believing. Abraham was told only what he needed to know to strengthen his faith, revealing step by step in his journey of righteousness credited to him by God. Each moment, God continued to reveal to him what he needed. He didn't get to the point right there of you're going to have a son. Oh, yep, you're right, I am. <clears throat> he was encouraged all along the way, and his strength was his faith was strengthened through all that. You better believe that that's, that's how God is helping you strengthen your faith. Think about it. The different situations that you've gone through where it took faith, 
to get through those things. You didn't know how you were going to see the other side of this. If there was ever going to be light at the end of the tunnel. But God brought you through it. You, you remained faithful to God, knowing, believing He knew what He was doing. And in that moment, He, he came through. He said what he did, what he said he was going to do. And you probably have had multiple situations like that all along your journey. Maybe you are in one of those situations right now. Maybe you're in one of those faith building situations. And you're wondering, wow, this is getting kind of dark here. Am I ever going to be able to see the light? Is he ever going to break through? Is there going to be some progress here? I know his promises are true, but wow, when is that going to come about? He will help you through this as he's helped you through the other situations of faith-building situations. He will take you through it. He walks with you through it all. That's how we get to the point of trusting God completely. That's how we are able to place our trust in Him. He knows where we're at. He knows what we need. He knows how little our faith is at times. So He comes alongside and He encourages us. He builds us up. He reminds us of what's going to happen down the road. He strengthens us through those faith-building situations. Just like He did with Abraham. For many years, ever since calling Abraham out of the land of Ur, God had been calling the things that were not as though they were. He had pointed to the stars in the sky and assured Abraham that his descendants would rival their number. He also told him that his seed would be as numerous as the sand of the sea. These promises went far beyond human reason. How could you can't count uh, all the all the sand there. How could you be able to count all the stars? Can't. Doesn't make sense. Still, Abraham continued to give glory to God because he was, as verse 21 says, fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. The object of his faith was nothing less than the character and power of Almighty God himself. He knew God could do it. And I've, as I've said before with people, we've got to settle in our hearts now that God is good. God will do it. He is able. We settle that now. In those moments of faith-building situations, we can go back on those and rely upon the fact that God is good. God is able. He will bring us through. It may not be exactly what we thought would happen, but he gives us what we need, and he provides. But all this ties back with verse 17, where it says, The God who gives life to the dead, even to the dead reproductive organs of Abraham and Sarah, and calls things that are not as though they were, a little boy named Isaac. And God's seventh promise to Abraham was spoken on Mount Moriah after Abraham obediently bound his promised son, Isaac, on that altar and prepared to offer him as a sacrifice. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19 says, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did, re- he did receive Isaac back from death. Now, Paul applied the words, calls things that are not as though they were, when he said of those redeemed by the Lord in his first letter to the Corinthians, saying that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and, and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. He calls things that are not as though they were. And in spite of the fact that Abraham and Sarah were even older and the prospect of having another child through whom he would become the father of many nations was even more remote, Abraham proceeded to obey God. Take the knife. You're going to make a sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verses 17 through 19 said, He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. As a result of his faith in God, verse 22 of Romans chapter 4, it was credited to him as righteousness. In God's eternal ledger, neither circumcision nor the law is capable of canceling out the debt in a person's life created by sin. Faith, on the other hand, is fully capable of making one righteous. God rewarded Abraham's faith by making him right with him. And that essentially is faith's reward. It's a reward of faith. And God gave Abraham a son. Hundreds of years later, he gave the land he promised Abraham to his descendants. It would still be several thousand years before God would ultimately bless the world through Abraham's seed by sending his own son. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 Verses 13 and 16 says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Look with me in verse 23 of Romans chapter 4. We'll, we'll, we'll complete all this and read through uh, verse 25. And here we'll see that faith is effective. Faith is effective in all generations. Look with me in verse 23. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Abraham's faith was not something restricted or isolated to him. Paul had already spoken of Abraham's offspring as sharing and receiving the promise of an inheritance. And he had said the promise was guaranteed to all of the offspring, those who, like Abraham, believed God's promise. And in closing this part of of, of his message, He said those powerful words, it was credited to him as righteousness. These words were, in verse 23, written not for Abraham alone. They were written 
as Paul said, also for us. Paul's whole point in citing the example of Abraham's faith was to show that it, it is the same means by which we too are made righteous today. And the object of that faith has not changed, even though more than 4,000 years have transpired between Abraham and us. That object is the promised Son, Jesus Christ. It was He who, as in verse 25 says, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. It is only through faith in Him that anyone can be righteous. And it's through our faith in Him that Abraham has become the father of us all. And the principle of righteousness through faith was not just for Abraham. Again, it's for everyone. Everyone. God will credit as righteousness the faith of all, as verse 24 says, who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Gentiles, Jews, and all who believe. And by implication, such faith is effective not only in counting us righteous, but in enabling us to walk the way of holiness as well. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. They're going to lead us in a couple songs here. And as they do, let me also conclude this by asking you a few questions here. Realizing that this, this faith is effective, not only in counting us righteous, but in enabling us to walk the way of holiness. Let me ask you, are you steadily moving forward in your holiness journey? How's your journey going? Where are you in that journey? Are you at the beginning sensing your need of God's righteousness? Because that's where it starts. Are you moving along, saved, credited with righteousness by faith? Maybe you're further down the road progressing in holiness. Maybe you've surrendered to God and you're filled with the Spirit. Maybe you are on your journey of holiness, maturing in Christ-likeness. To do those things, you need to be obedient to God in what He's prompting you to do. What He says in, your, in, in His Word. So where would you position yourself in your journey? Very beginning, somewhere in the middle, somewhere towards the end. Wherever you're at, we're all still learning. We're all still discovering new light as God reveals that light to us. And I trust that we're walking in that light that He reveals to us. Let me ask you this. Are you in a faith-building situation like Abraham? Have the storms of life come banging on your door? Have they almost beat that door down? You're wondering what in the world's going on? How am I ever able to get through this? Are you willing to trust God, but it's really difficult? I said, come and receive strength for your faith from God. He's here today, arms open wide, ready to give you strength for your faith. Commit to lay down those concerns, those worries. Allow God to work through them, whatever that faith-building situation is for you. And as I look through this congregation, I can identify there are some things, as, as we all know, some faith-building situations that you're going through. 
and I've been praying for you. As you go through those things, as I'm aware of those faith-building situations, God is going to help you. God is going to strengthen you. He will bring you through it. Whatever your need, just realize that God is here. He's with you. And He's wanting to provide. question is, will you come before Him? The altar is a place where you can come meet with Him. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you, please obey. Please obey Him as we come and sing this next song. If you want to come and pray, you sure can. Receive strength from the Lord. Increase your faith. We need that in times of those faith-building situations. Are you willing to trust Him for it? Let God work in your life.